Let's just sing one more time that beautiful song about healing. There's healing in the Word. If you believe it, sing it now. You're my healer. You are my healer. Yes, Lord. Sing it, everyone. It's true. My portion. For me. Yes, Lord. Jesus, you're all I that's true, Lord, and we pray for your uh, word, Lord, to be anointed tonight and touch the hearts of every person. Lord, illuminate us and guide us and speak to us as we draw near to the holy, the sacred scriptures of God. Lord, give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Make us secure, rooted, grounded in your word that, Lord, when the storms come, the winds blow, the rain falls, and the floods beat on the house of our faith. It will not fall. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You can be seated. Let's uh, go ahead and just look at this. we got a lot to cover tonight. And I love this series on the book of Genesis. It is really, really good stuff. And we're going to look tonight at the first false religion. You know, isn't it amazing? False religion goes all the way back the beginning of time. Bad teaching, false teaching, uh, heresy, uh, wrong ways to approach God go all the way back to the first, uh, the first couple and the first family. And this tonight we're going to be dealing with the first son, Cain. Now last time we looked at the judgments that fell upon Adam and Eve and they weren't pretty. The judgments that fell as a result of their fall into sin. Now remember from Adam the Bible says sin was passed onto the entire human race. And you may, not, you may say, that's not fair. Well, it's not a matter of fair. It's a matter of reality. And this is what happened. Look what the Bible says. In, well, you can read Romans 5, 12. It says, from Adam, sin was passed onto the entire human race, which, of course, was the devil's goal. He never reveals what he's got in mind. He, only, he never plays his hand up front. He never shows you what he's really got in mind when he tempts you. He only makes sin look attractive. And then once you've bitten the bait, then the consequences begin to roll in. And who could have imagined that the consequences would be the entire human race being infected with a disease called sin? Now, our teaching ended with the first couple's banishment from the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out of paradise. And when Cain was born... Catch this now, when Cain was born, it was after their banishment, after they had been kicked out of Eden, Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a son. His name was Cain. Now Eve likely thought he was Christ. Now why would that be? Because God had told him in Genesis 3.15, which is the what of the Old Testament? The John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15, God says, uh, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. And there was an incredible promise 
that God was going to destroy the destroyer. And he was going to do it by the seed of the woman. So in other words, he was going to do it by a child. Now when God gave the promise, there was no time limit attached to it. He didn't say thousands of years from now I'm going to do it. He just said, from your womb, Eve, from the seed of the woman, the serpent's going to be destroyed. Well, so that when Cain was born, there was no question in my mind, she thought he was the promised seed, the Messiah. Because look what she said, I have gotten a man from who? From the Lord. So she was thinking, here it is already. He's going to bruise the serpent's head. Because don't you think Eve had a little bit of an issue with the devil now that she realized what had happened and that he had lied to her, deceived her, and carried her into sin? Oh yeah. So she was thinking this was the vengeance of God, Cain. But within this statement is the clear sense that God had delivered a child according to his promise. Eve no doubt assumed the promised seed had already come to bruise the serpent's head. Alexander White, a great preacher from London uh, in the 1800s, he was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, wrote these words. She would have been a cold-blooded atheist had she believed anything else. Her exclamation demonstrates her saving faith in the promise of a coming Redeemer. Now you ask me, were Adam and Eve saved after they had sinned? Were they saved? Did they go to heaven? Yes. He said, well, how'd they get to heaven? They put faith in the promise of God. They put their faith in the promise of God that He would send a Redeemer. And based on the faith in that promise of God, they were saved by faith. So, when Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord, that was expressing the faith that she had already placed in the promise of God that a Redeemer was going to come. So very, very powerful stuff. All through the Old Testament, people were saved uh, by putting faith in the promise of God. Now, before long, she had abundant cause to doubt that Cain was the one. I mean, it didn't take long. And she was saying, this boy ain't it. <laughs> the first child born into a sin-cursed world soon manifested all kinds of goodies. Are you ready? Here's a few. Temper tantrums. Now, I know that doesn't happen to any of your kids, but her kid did it. Temper tantrums, an inborn ability to lie and deceive. No one had to teach him to lie. No one had to teach him to deceive. And he was infected with pride. He worshiped in self-will. He was angry with God. He refused uh, to bring a sin offering according to the command of God. He murdered his brother. He lied to God. And ultimately, he became a vagabond. And Cain and his descendants are going to be our topic the next two weeks, tonight and next time. Because it's very, very important that you understand what we're going to call the Cainite descendants. The descendants of Cain. All right, by the time her second son, Abel, was born, she knew her mistake well. Abel means vanity. Now, I don't know about you, but you take a child, your second child, and you name them vanity? Now, you know, Hollywood, they name them lollipop and gumdrops and everything else in the world. That's because they're crazy in Hollywood. But look, she named him vanity. That was not a compliment, okay? It had all become for Eve vanity and vexation of spirit. She realized the mistake she had made. The consequences of sin were rolling in, and now she knew, 
uh-oh, we're in trouble. Now, the two boys grew up together not far from the Garden of Eden in an agrarian setting. They were farmers. There were likely good times as well. Now, I, we're using a little bit of sanctified imagination here, but I don't think it's far from the mark at all. They, they were a family. So they had stories around the evening campfire, plots of ground for each of the growing boys to till because they were farmers. As they grew, here's what they encountered, the results of the fall, the reality of the fall through plenty of hard work in fighting off weeds and thorns that never would have been there had they not fallen. Because God said, I'm cursing the ground. So the thorns and the weeds were coming up and they had to deal with that and fending off carnivorous wolves. None of that was there before the fall. On reaching full manhood, Abel had become a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. All right, so the two boys, two different um, vocations, shepherd, farmer. It's important to understand that both of the boys were very well taught. Please catch this. They knew there was a God. Because after all, their mom and dad didn't have navels. I thought that would get your attention. Because they had not been born. They had been what? Created. Full formed. Not evolved. So they didn't have navels. Adam couldn't say to Eve, um, he could not compare her to her mother because she didn't have one. He could not say, my mother cooked better than you because he never had a mama. Okay, now I'm, I, I'm being a little comical here, but this is true. There was a first couple. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, all right, if you're an evolutionist, somewhere you had an evolved first couple. It just took them a long time to get there, but you had one. No. God said, let there be, and there was. Now, so here, their parents were created, so you know they knew there was a God. They knew their parents had fallen into sin because they told them so. They had been banished from Eden. And that sin, they had been taught, sin was highly offensive to God. Guarantee you, they were told that. It's very likely that the family had made field trips to the gates of Eden where Adam and Eve recounted the tragedy of sin and their banishment from paradise. There you have it, right there, Cain and Abel. That's where we were created. But you see that cherub guarding the gate with flaming sword? That's why we can't get in, because we sinned, and we lost paradise because of it. They knew this. They knew that when coming to God, they had to bring an offering. This was no surprise, for God's anger at sin would have to be atoned for. Adam and Eve told them that. This is why we read that, quote, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering. Well, why did he decide to bring an offering? Because they had been taught, you've got to bring an offering to God. You've got to bring a sin offering to God. But now look what Cain did. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So notice, Cain brought a veggie dish. Abel brought real animals. Flesh and blood, blood offering. 
Big difference. Now look, Cain, for all of his faults, we've got to admit here, he wasn't any atheist because he brought an offering to who? To the Lord. He came first to the Lord. He was first. Abel was second. He came with an offering from the fruit of the ground. Well, what's wrong with that? His heart was right after all, wasn't it? No, it was not right. And here comes Brother Abel behind him. Abel came also with a lamb without spot or without blemish. That's what we're told. And this was not easy for Abel. I want you to think about it. Commentator John Phillips paints a somber picture. I could not improve on this when Abel brought this first offering to the Lord. Listen to what he wrote. We can visualize the trusting, gentle, innocent lamb looking up at Abel. He placed his hands upon it, and the little thing trembled at his touch. Then, swift and sure, he seized his knife, cut its throat, watched the red blood spurt. He watched it die. Then, with a sob in his soul, we can see him lift the silent form, place it on the flames, and offer it up to God. Where did he get that? He got it from Adam and Eve. Tears running down his cheeks. What a dreadful way to approach God. But sin is a dreadful thing. Do you see it, church? Cain, on the other hand, may have looked on with disgust at Abel's bloody altar. He walked off to his own altar that was fresh with the fragrance of the fruits of the field and made an offering to God from the produce of the ground. Then God responded. And what did God do? He had no respect to Abel and his offering. He rejected Abel's own best idea. He rejected Abel's own unique way. He rejected Abel doing his own thing. He rejected Abel's good intentions because they may have been good, but they were not wrapped in obedience, and obedience is greater than sacrifice. He rejected a man coming to God on his own terms, and he always will. He looked on Cain and his offering, and he did not look with favor, the Bible says in verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. He was angry at God. The Bible clearly reveals that the two brothers had been taught what kind of offering to bring to the Lord. They had been taught this wasn't news. By faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Why was it better? Because it was what God had said you must do. It was obedience. By faith he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, when Cain killed him, he went straight to heaven because he'd already been declared righteous by faith right here. And by faith, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven four, by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. Why does he still speak? He still speaks because what he did is what we must do. We can't come to God any old way. You can't go hug a tree and go to heaven. You will not get to God any way other than his way. And there is none other 
name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name Jesus Christ. See, the message of Abel is the message of the gospel. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. He had to believe that it was by blood that you're saved, not vegetables, not your own good idea. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The only way you're ever declared righteous by faith is when by faith you accept the promises of God. And the minute you say, Lord, I accept Jesus into my heart, and right then he says, righteous, justified, glorified, forgiven, redeemed. Just like happened with Abel. Abel had brought an offering that was driven by faith in the word of God that he had been taught. His was an offering of faith. Adam and Eve had no doubt told both boys how God had replaced the fig leaves with an animal skin. The first death in Eden was the death of an animal to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. They had communicated the lesson, learned immediately following their own fall into sin. Here was the lesson. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There's not any without the shedding of blood, and vegetables don't bleed. Abel believed. Cain did not. I'm going to say it again. When Adam and Eve taught them, it's got to come by the shedding of blood. Abel believed it. Cain rejected it. Abel accepted it. Cain did not believe it and embrace it or put his faith in it. Abel took his place before God as a guilty, lost, helpless sinner needing an atoning sacrifice. And God declared him righteous by faith in some measure Abel was looking away towards Calvary. The Bible says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But not Cain, holding to his own self-righteousness, he spurned a salvation based on blood. Wow. To him it was barbarous, offensive, and disgusting. He came to God his own way on his own terms, yet God rejected him outright. God is no respecter of persons. This is precisely the attitude. I want you all to catch this because this is our generation right now. Our generation carries the attitude of Cain, not of Abel. Every person involved in a false religion who approach God on their own terms carry the spirit of Cain. They are not approaching God on his terms. They're approaching God on their own terms. And because of that, they're losing their soul. I guarantee you. The spirit of Cain has been alive and well in the human race ever since this moment. Cain is the father of the first false religion. A religion based on works and not grace. Self-righteousness rather than God's righteousness. Rebellion and not obedience. Abel's way leads to heaven while the way of Cain leads straight directly to hell. That's what the Bible says, not Jeff Wickwire. Somebody says to me, well, doesn't God know that I mean well and I try to be a good person? No, 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 no. So did Cain. He said, this is the work of my hands. I sweated over these vegetables. I'm going to give God the produce of my hands. But he was refusing to believe the message of the blood. And was lost. 
Note God's word to Cain. This is really important. Following the rejection of his offering, God said to him, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, that is, approach me on my terms. Uh, sin, like a lion, is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. The, the Hebrew here is to eat you alive, but you must master it. When we reject God's way, we open ourselves up to the attacks of the lion, the devil. When you reject the blood, and you say, I'm going to come to God my way, you've just opened the door. Sin is crouched outside your door waiting to pounce on you. There is protection from the lion in only one place, and that's in the blood. Are y'all out there tonight? There's re I mean, hey, if you, if you want to be protected from the devil, just come in under the blood of the lamb, and you're protected. Now, when we rebel against God's way, the door is open for sin to pounce and devour us. Soon after these chillings wor chilling words, the first son, true to what God had said to him, committed the first murder. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, hey man, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his own brother Abel, slaughtered him. I could go into real detail here because the Hebrew and, and the Old Testament language is very clear. He slit his throat. He slit his, he slit his throat. That's what he did to brother Abel. Now what did Abel do? He went to heaven because God had already declared him, declared him righteous. But he slit his brother's throat. God had said, if you don't come in by way of the blood, the, the sin is sitting at the door ready to pounce on you. And no sooner had God said that, he committed the first murder and sin pounced on him. Slit his brother's throat. His blood went into the ground. God came calling and said, you know, your, your brother's blood is calling to me out of the ground. And I'm going to tell you, church, blood talks to God. Blood talks to God. The life is in the blood. And if you think that the blood of a million babies a year slaughtered in America is not crying out to God, you need to wake up. The blood is crying out to God. Blood talks to God. The life is in the blood. And the first murder, the first blood spill, God said, it's talking to me. It's calling to me. What happened here, Cain? And, of course, he popped off like a smarty pants and said, am I my brother's keeper? As a matter of fact, no, you're your brother's murderer. Cain had brought an offering but not a sacrifice. He was willing to worship but only on his own terms. His false religion ultimately ended with his mournful cry following God's judgment on him when God branded him for life. He said, my punishment is more than I can bear. I can't take the punishment God has given to me. Why did the punishment come? The shedding of innocent blood. See, you don't have to end up in a prison to pay for the shedding of blood. There's all kinds of ways God can bring consequences. Now, the founder of the first false religion wandered the earth, a vagabond, and sank at last into a nameless grave at an unrecorded age. The Bible didn't even bother to tell us how old he was. Didn't even care that much about his death. The millions who hurry down Cain's path only perpetuate his errors. 
Their self-righteous attitudes, good works, religious rituals, and social actions do nothing to garner the favor of God. You can give a billion dollars to the poor, be a good person, never get a traffic ticket. It does nothing to garner the favor of God. Only blood, the blood of his son. Now, he requires a blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of his only begotten son. Without it, all is vanity. Now, Cain's descendants, let's follow Cain for a minute because this really matters. We're headed towards the great flood and what an appropriate night to talk about the great flood. Cain's descendants built a large and a thriving civilization. Now, as I go into this, I want you to notice, just because you're successful doesn't mean you're right with God. It, because if, if you tell me, well, because you got a lot of money, you've got the favor of God, no, sir. You can be going straight to hell and have a lot of money. Because this, these descendants of Cain and his offspring, man, they built a thriving civilization characterized by great social, secular, and scientific activity. Okay? I mean, they were very successful, very innovative, very creative, very... A, a, a gifted, but very lost. But it was all sinful activity they were involved in because they were in rebellion against God. Because they ignored Christ and, and their, their ignoring of the blood and of the, the Genesis 3.15 prediction that God would bruise and destroy the destroyer by the seed of the woman, when they rejected that and rejected the blood, even though they built a civilization, they were doomed. It led straight to the flood. Now let's look at the coming catastrophe called the Great Flood. And folks, you know me, and you know what I'm going to say to you about this. There's no way you can look at the approach of the Great Flood and not parallel it to our day and see the, the coming of the great judgment of God and the return of Christ. The parallels are so amazing that when I say the coming catastrophe, I can bring it right now to our day and say there is a catastrophe of judgment coming. So you look at all the earmarks that led up to this one, and it's just completely, it's, it's, it's almost a reflection of our day. Because what did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now let's look at this a little bit and learn a little bit about uh, history, Bible history tonight. A time period of around 1,500 years lies between the fall of man into sin and the flood. 1,500 years, all right? A millennia and a half. Long time. The Bible compresses the history of this time period into 140 verses and five and a half brief chapters. So you know what we're going to do from chapter... 4 in Genesis to chapter 9, verse 17, we're going to travel 1,500 years. Isn't that amazing? All right. And the story of those 1,500 years unfolds in three parts. The first part deals with the causes of the flood. And this is what we're going to be looking at tonight and next week. Why did the flood come? Why did God have to wipe everything completely out? Then the second part with the catastrophe of the flood itself. And the third part with the consequences of the flood. What happened after the flood? We're going to see that, and it's fascinating stuff. Now, the Lord Jesus himself referred to the first part leading up to the flood with the words we just quoted. Let's look at it again. In Matthew 24, verse 37, he says, As the days of Noah were, leading up to the days of Noah, the characteristics of people, their actions, 
their hearts, their sin, as it was with people and spiritually in the days of Noah prior to the flood, it's going to be just like that in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So we're going to see a repeat of antediluvian people. Now I want you to say with me, antediluvian. That's talking about prior to the flood. Antediluvian people were people that lived prior to the great flood. What were they like? Let's look at it. That statement alone, Jesus saying, that's what it's going to be like again before I come, it makes me want to see what they were like before the flood. What about you? What were they like? Why did God finally say, I can't take anymore? I'm going to have to end it all. Following the fall, sin quickly polluted all of humanity. It moved like the black plague through the human race. But a quarter of people lived during the black plague. No one got unaffected by sin. Everyone was infected by sin. Now prior to the great flood, God summed up mankind's abysmal condition in Genesis 6, 5 to 6. Listen to what God says. He looked down and says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. How bad was it? Every inclination, that's the word for imagination, Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. What a snapshot of the heart of man before the flood. Every imagination that he had was an evil one. Every thought he had in his heart was an evil one. Never once did man on earth except Noah who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, no one else ever had a righteous thought when God finally ended all of it. Only evil all the time, 24-7, evil thoughts, evil imaginations. I tell you, Pastor, that's pretty bad. I'm going to tell you something, church. I can see that coming. I can see that coming in our culture. Our culture has become pornified, it has become addicted. It has become godless. It's getting that way more and more. I know there's a lot of Christians in America and in the West and in the world. But I got to tell you, you get away from Christianity and, and get away from the Word like our culture is doing. It seems to me more and more and more it's only things that would have used to have made us blush on TV, would never have made it on TV, would never have made it into a sitcom or any news show. Now, that kind of stuff is there all the time and no one even blinks. And the prophet Jeremiah said to Israel in his day, you don't even remember how to blush. That's where it's going to go again. Look at that. Jesus says it's going to be like that. Look at that. There you go. There is a prediction of what it's going to end up being like with the godless. Now, and what did God do? It says the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. He regretted that he made man. And his heart was filled with pain. Only evil. All the time. This was man's heart and life. And what did God say when he made man? Let's make him in our image. Now, in the antediluvian race of people, they were the opposite of the image of God. The polar opposite. 
Now, chapter 4 begins with the tracking of two genealogies. Very important. Say it with me. Cain and Seth. Now, say it with me. Cainite? Not as in Canaanite, but Cainite. And say with me, Seth, and then Sethite. So when I talk about the Cain, uh, descendants of Cain, we're going to call them Cainites. When I talk about the descendants of Seth, we're going to call them Sethites. Okay? The Cainites were the evil descendants of Cain. The Sethites were the righteous line of Seth. Okay? Two different offsprings, two different descendants, two different spiritualities in the two lines. Now, the line of Seth, who was Abel's replacement following Abel's murder, being the godly lineage, and the line of Cain, the line of the ungodly, okay? So the line of Seth, Seth replaced Abel. After Abel had been murdered, Seth was born, and Seth replaced Abel in Eve's mind and in God's calling. Cain was a restless, rebellious man. He had strong character. He had iron determination. Cain, the murderer. He was an independent thinker. We know this because he went and built a city instead of being a farmer, an agrarian person, and a man of stubborn self-will, and he had fierce pride. He had all the markings of an independent, godless man. God had already rejected his religion. So guess what? Cain was fine with doing without God. Okay, you reject me, I'm fine, I'll go build a city. I can do it without God. Anybody know anybody like that? I do. I can do without God. Oh, just wait. Just wait. At the very outset, Cain's lineage manifests first an indifference toward God. Now what we're doing here, church, we're looking at the phases that a spiraling culture went through just like ours has and is. It began with an indifference towards the person of God. What did Cain do? It says Cain left. What? Did he leave God? No, he left what of God? The presence of God. He said, I'm leaving the presence of God. And he lived in Nod. Hebrew for Nod means vagrancy, wandering, literally, no man's land. He went to no man's land. Anytime you leave the presence of God, you're headed to no man's land. When you leave the presence and the person of God, I promise you, you're headed to no man's land. You're going to be a spiritual vagrant. You're going to wander just like Cain did. And what a dismal and dry and desolate place it is when you leave the presence of God. I need the presence of God every day. I don't know how people make it without the Spirit of God in our culture. I don't know how they do it. I gotta get, I've got to get filled with the Spirit daily. I've got to read that Word daily. I mean, I soak the, ask my wife. She'll say, won't you watch Judge Judy with me? And I say, I think I'll just go in there and read the Bible a little bit. And I'm not saying I'm more spiritual than her. She needs to be delivered from Judge Judy. But, 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 but Judge Judy gives her the ability. See, she lives vicariously through Judge Judy because Judge Judy calls people fools and idiots and gets away with it. And that, that's why I think a lot of people watch her because she dares to talk to people the way you wish you could, but you can't. So Judy does it for you. But I, I got to have that word. I got to have that word. I got to have the spirit of God. 
And woe to the man or woman that say, I'm leaving the presence of God. I'm getting out of church. I'm getting out of the Word. I'm getting out of prayer. I'm striking out on my own. I'm leaving the presence of God. You are headed towards no man's land. East of Eden. That's where that book title came from. Notice how casually he left the presence of God. Cain turned his back on the gates of Eden, the place where men met God. He went east. He left it. Put simply, Cain became the first apostate. Now, it's one thing for a person who has never known any divine truth, never been exposed to light, to live apart from the presence of God because they don't know any better. They've never been taught. But it's another thing when somebody intentionally walks away from divine light and knowledge, when they've known God, have tasted of the powers to come, have felt His Spirit, have walked with Him, fellowshiped with Him, talked with Him, and for some reason you get offended or something happens to you or some sin latches onto you and you become bound and locked up and chained in some kind of sin and you decide to walk away from the presence of the Lord? That's apostate. And God help you if you get out there. Only God will bring you back. This was Cain, though. He's presented as an apostate by Jude in the New Testament. If you want some scripture to back that up, listen to what Jude says. Quote, but these people sneer at anything they can't understand, talking about the things of God, and by doing whatever they feel like doing, living by animal instinct only, lust-driven, greed-driven, whatever their animal instincts tell them to do, and they participate in their own destruction, they've gone down Cain's road, Jude said. Cain went on to build a city. The Bible says that he named it after his son, Enoch. Enoch means dedicated, or as some have suggested, inauguration. The name can mean inauguration. Cain inaugurated something new, a city. There had never been a city before. If he couldn't have paradise, this was his attitude. If I can't have paradise, if you've kicked me out for good, if I'm branded for life, then I'll just go build my own city on my own terms. And he did exactly with the city what he had done with the offering. He did it his way on his own terms. He was really what we would call today a real man. But when God looked at him, God said, no, you're a rebellious man. When you do it your own way, live your own way, according to your own rules, you're not a real man. You're not Clint Eastwood. You're not Arnold Schwarzenegger. You are a rebel. A real man says, whatever you tell me to do, Lord, I'm going to do it. That's what a real man says. Now, as the ungodly line of Cain increased, man's early indifference blossomed into independence from God. One thing to be indifferent, another thing to be completely independent and assert yourself, it's like you got a teenager in your house. At first they ignore you, then one day they look at you and say, I don't care what you tell me, I'm going to go do what I want to do. And they go from indifference to independence. And then you got trouble at home. Much of the early history of this time is revealed in the names given to children. Because names meant a lot in that day. When you name a child, it was for a reason. Now, notice this. Several of the names in Cain's line end with El. The beginning of the name Elohim. God. El. God. Okay? So, at first, 
When Cain strikes out and starts having children and his descendants have children, they use El for the beginning of the children's name. So God, at least the memory of God, is still around. Look at some examples. Uh, the knowledge of God lingered on in the memory of Cain's race through the names. Yet even the casual and flippant use of God's name soon disappeared completely. Here's an instance. The name Irad, I-R-A-D, Irad, is rendered fugitive. Can you imagine naming your child fugitive because you know you're a part of a race of people rebelling and running and fugitive from God? Fugitive. Another name, Mahujael, means smitten of God. Or even worse, blot out that Yah is even God. Do you see what's happening to these descendants of Cain? They're, they're taking these little children and they're naming them, hey, fugitive. And then worse, hey, Yah isn't even God. Denying God, naming your child a name that means to deny God. This is what was happening to the Cainite race. So by the time that Mahujael lived, men wanted nothing more to do with God. Another name, here's an interesting one, Methusael means a man who is of God. This suggests that even among the Cainites, there were some who had misgivings about the way the world was going. Have you got a misgiving tonight about the way the world is going? Do you? See, even with these ancient people, every once in a while in the midst of naming these children anti-God names, one of them said, hey, hey, I believe we're going the wrong direction. You, little baby, you are of God. But you know what? Even if this were true, the misgivings did nothing to stop the tide of evil. The final flickering of the candle was finally extinguished by the coming of a man named Lamech. Lamech. Look what it says, quote, When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years. Man, when he was 300, he started dating. I mean, we're talking about a long life here. When he was 400, he got married. 500, honey, I think I'm pregnant. They lived 700, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters, and we're going to see later that antediluvian people lived much longer because the atmosphere was different before the flood than after. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years. He was 31 years short of a millennia, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah. Now, keep that in mind, because Noah is a picture of grace, because out of a terrible lineage, Noah was plucked. And declared righteous. And what did he name Noah for? His name meant he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Even this wicked Lamech, we're going to see, even he had spurts of faith where he said, God's going to have to do something. And I'm believing him enough to do it that I'm going to name a boy. He's going to comfort us. God's going to comfort us. And he's going to Take away our toil. Now, after Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years. Boy, that's watching your kids grow. And he had other sons and daughters, and altogether Lamech lived 777 years. 777, and then he died. Now, Lamech, the father of Noah, was 56. Catch this. 
He was 56 when Adam died. Lamech was 56 when Adam died and clearly understood the fall of man and he understood the curse of God for the fall. Methuselah and Lamech heard Enoch preach and saw the example of his noble life. Of Enoch, it was said that he walked with God and was not. Before he was raptured, he preached. And when he preached, Lamech and Methuselah heard him. Lamech means powerful, conqueror, wild man. In Lamech, the conqueror came, the mighty man, the first shadow on the pages of Scripture of the coming lawless one of the last days. Lust and lawlessness came to full fruition in Lamech, as they will in the beast, the devil's Messiah. The growing independence of God in the Canaanite line came to a head in Lamech's family. A new age was about to dawn in science, art, philosophy, and religion. didn't matter. They were still wicked. But at the same time, man's moral and spiritual condition nosedived into catastrophe and judgment. The world of that day uncannily mirrors our world today. Great scientific technological advancement, while at the same time, a growing defiance and hostility towards God and the godly. As the flood was headed their way, so God's judgment is headed ours. Next time, the coming catastrophe continues. Can we stand? Now, this is a lot of information, but hey, we need to learn the Bible, y'all. Because when you, when you look at these things, the Bible has given us ample evidence of how a culture spirals downward. I believe with all of my heart we're in that spiral right now in the West. And it's time for the church to roar loud. Next time you're going to see what Lamech's family created. Instruments of music. Uh, an industrial revolution. But it all headed to the flood. And next time I'm going to talk about the great apostasy. Where God said, that's it. I'm ending it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now. For the Word of God and the truth of the Word. And we know, Lord, that these ancient civilizations and these ancient peoples, tainted by sin, corrupted by iniquity, leave us a message today and we learn from them that you must judge sin and that the blood and the blood alone delivers. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Can we just lift our hands and, and thank God that we're not worshiping the Lord based on the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, but the spotless Lamb of Messiah Jesus spilled His blood for us. And that's how we can enter His gates with thanksgiving. Can you just say thank you, Lord, for the blood? The blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. Sing it, everybody. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Oh, if you're thankful for that blood, sing it one more time and worship Him. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Yes, Lord. God is good. Amen. Amen. Don't forget that this Sunday, Palm Sunday. Can you